0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarlane, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We have got a little mishmash. we got a little bit of... Uh, potpourri, as they would say. Hodgepodge. Yeah, hodgepodge. Miscellany. Miscellany. We're going to get some football stuff for sure, as we always do. But we're also going to talk some basketball. Uh, You know, this is nitty-gritty time for Virginia Tech in in basketball. We'll talk about what they need to do to make the tournament. Uh, And we'll also uh, hit on a little bit of Tech baseball at the end because uh, that's about ready to crank up. And uh, I have some thoughts on the coach there, who was my alma mater, um, before he came to Virginia Tech. So let's start... With excessive juice, because I'd like this podcast, if possible, to have
1: excessive juice. Hashtag excessive juice. Don't forget the hashtag, then. That's an integral part of uh, excessive juice.
0: Excessive juice, as everyone knows uh, who's a long-time listener to this podcast, we we like to make fun of the taglines for various programs, including Virginia Tech's. Uh, what was their Latin one this year? Fact at non Right, That's horrible. Just horrible. But I have to say, as a uh, as a Maryland alum, I follow the Maryland football account, and I noticed something strange last week. They hashtagged excessive juice, and that is uh, going to be their uh, – it looks like they're going to use that as a rallying cry going forward. Uh, I love the juice aspect of it. I think it's great. I don't know about excessive. I'm not sure excessive is the right word there. Like, bring the juice I like. Um, A lot of juice would be probably even better than excessive. A whole lot of juice. Is there such a thing as excessive juice? I mean, I don't really think there is. Hashtag more juice than you can handle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you add to juice to, to make it work.
0: Just do hashtag juice. Juice. You got the juice. Well... There's some juice around this Tech basketball program, and certainly the victory in Charlottesville added to that juice. It made it, it brought it to an excessive level. After uh, that was a stunning win. I mean, there were 12 point dogs. I know it's been a, you know over a week now since that happened. But uh, Andy, did you watch the Virginia Tech Virginia game? I did, and. Uh It was a game, it seemed like, oh,
1: Virginia Tech should win this in regulation, and then they just choked down the stretch. And then you go, oh, Virginia's going to win this in overtime, and then Virginia just choked down (laughs) the stretch, and then Virginia Tech stole it at the end. It was a game that, you know, based on how the game had gone, the Hokies probably should have won it in regulation. And, you know, the basketball gods must have been smiling on them for it to turn around in overtime, and UVA misses the free throws at the end. Uh, you know, certainly not a work of art, that game, but, you know, what What game that Virginia plays is ever a work of art? I mean, you sort of have to ugly it up if you're going to beat the Cavaliers in a situation like that. So, uh, you know, impressive win to, to kind of grit it out and win that one uh, and then to come back and play Duke uh, later in the week and just get blown out of the water. Uh, you know, that whole defensive minded the team that they were in Virginia, and they clogged the lane, they played really well, and then Duke just shoots the lights out on them. This is such a difficult team to figure out when you're watching them that you just don't know what team's going to show up from one night to the next. Well, essentially,
0: if Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy, the two Virginia sharpshooters, had done what Grayson Allen and Gary Trent Jr. did uh, for Duke uh, we're talking about a blowout victory for Virginia in that game. I mean, they, those two couldn't hit anything from the perimeter, and that's the, unlike them. Uh, so that was another thing that just made you know Virginia take the, – the, the gods were smiling on them that day in Charlottesville. What struck me the most, and it, it didn't really get a lot of uh, publicity after the game because everybody's was talking, of course, about the end and, and uh, Devin Hall missing the free throws and you know the putback by Kerry Blackshear Jr., all those things. That uh, just decided the game, but early in that game, Tech goes on seventeen to nothing. Run. I mean, that is just It's like thirty four to nothing against Virginia. I mean, right? who's done that against the Cavaliers? And I, I you know, Field would probably know. Uh, he's
1: not many teams. About you know, what the team that I think might have done it is Florida in the tournament when they held them like thirty points or whatever it was a couple years ago because they sometimes. You know, I, I went to Wisconsin. They play a similar style as Wisconsin has over the years, and uh, that was the frustrating part about watching the Patriots basketball. Sometimes they would just go with these offensive funks, and you're just like, how does this team ever score? And you know, they have those periods like that. Uh, usually they play good enough defense on the other end that the other team doesn't go on a 17-point run like that. But, yeah, that was pretty remarkable. Uh, the fact that Virginia Tech went on that run and then Virginia still got back into it is pretty remarkable too, just because they're a team that doesn't score very often. A very, very strange game. I don't know how many, you know, firm conclusions you're going to draw out of that game other than at the end of the year when they're doing the, the, uh, you know the the brackets and they're picking everything that's going to look mighty good in Virginia Tech's resume. That you know now they have a win against a team that actually ascended to the number one ranking despite losing. That, that'll look good at the end of the year, uh, even though at the time it was kind of an ugly win all around. Yeah,
0: I mean they hit five three pointers during that run. I mean that is that is their mo hitting three pointers. Uh, you know, I, I learned something too after after the game. I got a little one-on-one time with Nikhil Alexander Walker, the, the highly regarded freshman who's who's put in a nice season for for Tag. He's starting for him. Um, he's a really good quote. I had no idea that he was that interesting. And then uh, you know, it's not anything against him, but you know, freshmen usually it takes a little time to find your find your footing as a as a talker after games. But he was excellent. Uh, he had some interesting quotes. And uh, he, one of his quotes that I'd never heard an athlete say before, and, uh, you know, after the Virginia loss in Blacksburg, which we've discussed before on this podcast, which is the ugliest game you'll ever see for Tech, um, he said it was a complete repentance after that. Uh, wow i thought that was a great line did you do a double take when you said that you like Whoa, I, what did I, did I, that? I, I said did you just say that it was a complete repentance he says yeah he says we, we looked at everything and we you know we vowed to do do things differently and i said well okay that's great i'd never heard an athlete say that and i liked it so uh good for him <laughs> good for me in the future knowing that i can go to him especially we're going to get some one-on-one opportunities at these you know, these tournaments. These tournaments are golden opportunities to actually get to know these players on a level that you don't normally get because the access is better. Yeah, they mandate yeah. the open locker
1: room and stuff. That's the best part about the NCAA tournament is that it's like, oh, I can talk to these guys I haven't talked to all year. I know in the football playoffs, uh, you know, a lot of these coaches and schools have this one voice policy with their coaches. Uh, like Alabama and Georgia get to the championship round, and all of a sudden they can talk to every assistant right. for the first time all year. So it's this, it's like this quotes bonanza, and then it's like you know what the world didn't end after these coaches and players talked at this thing, and then they go back to their restrictive ways the next year for for
0: no reason whatsoever. Yeah, it's it's old school, you know. Like I, I saddled up to sidled up to Hadim C last year, the big post player who. You know, some weird things happened with him. He went down to Florida and now he's back on the roster. He's redshirting this year, but uh, I never spoke with him. I just wanted to, you know, pick his brain a little bit. He was starting for them at that time. He was more sort of a nominal starter than he was, a, you know, a real impact player, but he would start so that, um, uh, what's his face? I'm drawing a blank. The, uh, the post player they had last year who graduated, gosh. Uh, Lede. <laughs> Sorry. He's, uh, he's not a really he's big guy. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to keep him out of foul trouble, so they started C. And, um, but anyway, C was great. I mean, I got this whole feature story on him, and it was really like the old days of, of just, you know, you can really flesh it out. You can ask follow-up questions. I, I really enjoy that aspect of the postseason. To get to the big postseason, the big time, Virginia Tech's going to need to do some more work here. They're seven and six in the ACC. Uh, All four of their remaining games, well, the the exception of Saturday when they go and play at Georgia Tech, which is really struggling, lost eight of nine. Uh, That's a bad team down in Atlanta right now. Uh, But after that, they play four games against teams that are above them in the league standings. Uh, Obviously, we talked about it before. There there will be opportunities to make statements. This is their opportunity. They've got Louisville, they've got Clemson, and they've got Duke. Uh, Duke is a big Monday game. Their second big Monday game. Obviously, we remember what they did on their first big Monday game this year. They they, they made some huge noise and, and won against uh, North Carolina for the first big victory of the year. How do you think? And I know you know you're a football guy, but how do you think they're going to fare during this uh, this final five game stretch?
1: I have no idea because I can't figure this team out. I, mean, I know. You look at the schedule and you say, ah, well, these games of Clemson-Louisville-Duke. I mean, this Georgia Tech game this weekend, I know Georgia Tech is reeling and, and struggling, but you cannot lose that game. Exactly. You cannot lose it. And sometimes when you have a, a team that looks ahead on the schedule, maybe to some of these big games coming up, a game like that could bite you out of nowhere. So uh, I think it's interesting. and You almost got to go back to, what's was that, 2010-11 season. They beat Duke. Right. Dick Vitale's on
0: the court going, oh,
1: you're in, baby, you're in. And then they, they they lose, like, Boston College right after that, and somebody else, and then they it's end like up missing the team. tournament. I mean, this is a team that played a really bad non-conference schedule outside of that Kentucky game. I mean, it ranks horribly. And Kentucky sucks now, too. Yeah, Kentucky is not Kentucky. You know, they don't have that sort of cachet this year. Uh you're gonna have to win at least ten ACC games to get in. I mean, it, it's not it's not something where you can go, oh, you're nine and nine in the ACC, and the ACC is so tough they're gonna put you in. Historically, the the committee has not rewarded teams like that that you know just get by in the, in a tough conference and play nobody in the non conference schedule or had no wins of, of consequence. I, I guess Washington that win is looking better and better as Washington continues to improve during the season, but. Uh, if you're Virginia Tech, you've got to take care of business down the stretch here. I mean, you cannot just be a, a sort of a 500 team around there and, and expect to get in. You know, we're lo- I look at this bracketology thing that Joe Lunardi does. They have them as a 10 seed right now, mm-hmm. uh, and that's with that Virginia win. Uh, he lists them as a last. Let's see, on the bubble, one of the last four buys. I don't know what that means technically. That they're not one of those oh, they're they're not Virginia. one of those playing teams, right. I guess. So they're still sort of right there uh, on the cusp of the tournament. Uh, I don't think that Virginia wins. Like, oh, they beat Virginia. They're automatically in. They have a win against that. You know, St. John's has some pretty good wins lately, beat Duke, uh, beat Villanova, and St. John's doesn't get anywhere close to the tournament unless it wins the, the Big East tournament. So, uh, yeah, they cannot rest on their laurels uh, here down the stretch and you know, I tune in and I watch these games on TV because, obviously, Berman is our, uh, our beat writer and goes to all these games. And I never quite know which Hokies team is going to show up on a given night. Sometimes they're really energetic and they're you know, they're, they're playing good defense and they're hitting shots, and sometimes they just seem, like, lethargic. And every now and then you see a burst out of them. It's like, oh, there it is. That, that's that offensive uh, sort of juice that they have to go back to the, the beginning of this podcast. But it's just, I don't know, from day to day it just seems like it's very tough to predict this team.
0: Well, Seth Greenberg, when he was the coach at Virginia Tech, he used to always remind us, or us writers, when we would come in, you know, we'd come in and cover a December game, you know, because they were, you know, they play one good December opponent in the Big Ten Challenge or something like that. And, and if they lost, you know, we'd be asking them all these, you know, tough questions about why, you know, how'd you lose, you know, and then how big of a deal is this now, making an NCAA tournament? He would always remind us, guys, this is not football. He would say, you're, you're, you know, We know you're coming off your football season where every game is so vital, but this is December and this is not football. But to your point, the way they scheduled, uh, with just the, the, the crappiest schedule you can imagine, you know, rated outside the top 300 out of like 351 teams, uh, they turned this into a football season, basically. I mean, it's a little bit longer than football season—16 ACC games—but th- these games have that kind of gravity to them. Um, Duke—I was at Duke. I hate going to Duke. I get claustrophobic at Duke. You know me. I like mountains and rivers and walking and, and being able to breathe. And I cannot breathe in that place. And I know it's very suffocating for for, for teams there. And one of the things that happens at Duke is uh, guys get in foul trouble that don't normally get in foul trouble. It just happens and that happened to Justin Robinson. Uh, He's been their best player here uh, for most of the year and certainly in those upsets, the upset of um, Virginia, you know, he was a 20-point game. Um, So, you know, not having him on the floor early in the first half, that's kind of when things started getting away from Tech, but also, you know, the shooting of Allen was was amazing and Trent's uh, Trent's a fantastic player. Uh, I didn't realize how good of a player he is. I mean, you thought, okay, maybe they're getting a break because they're not they don't have to play back badly, but uh, he he did not uh, he wasn't missed. Um, Coach K was very proud of his team after that game because they they really laid it on thick. Uh, so I, I kind of you know I expected them to lose that game. They were actually. Uh, less underdogs than they were against Virginia. And they were 10 and a point dogs because of the magic thing.
1: And then everybody scoffed at that, like, oh, the Hokies are going to cover that, no problem. And then they lose by 20-something.
0: Well, I saw Teal before the game. I said, well, judging by your tweet there, you know, where you said 10 and a half, hmm, it sounds like you like the points, and it's like well, you know, I don't know. He says you never, you just never know. Like kind of what you were saying about this tech team, and I, I said I just see things get out of whack here all the time. I mean, it's just that's what made Virginia's win at Duke it's so damn impressive. I mean, that place when you talk about suffocating defense is what Virginia plays. That's a suffocating arena. Nobody wins there. It. It's it's so hard to go in there and win. And it's a credit, it's a credit to those uh, the students. Uh, they're they're giant nerds, but they're they're great fans. Uh, they're they're intense. Uh, they keep that team juiced excessively, and so I mean, it's it's you know you don't you don't expect to win that game. But you're right. I mean, and I'm sorry for monopolizing this whole time here, but Seth Greenberg would lose that Georgia Tech game. This is the game he would lose yeah. on Saturday, and. And I, Berman, I actually mentioned that to Berman uh, on the way back. He's like, "Yeah, you're right. They, he would lose." But Berman feels very confident that they're going to go and win. I watched that Duke Georgia game, Georgia Tech game in Atlanta, and Georgia Tech had nothing. I mean, they were throwing the ball away. They're they're just really sloppy. They don't you know they don't look like they're cohesive in any way. Uh, if they lose that game, they don't deserve to be probably.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they'll win that one. How do you, you ask me? You have a better sense because you've seen this team. How do you think they'll do in this stretch of home games? And what do I mean, they? They pretty much have to go two and one in that stretch. And this is assuming they beat Georgia Tech. I'm going to guess Miami on the road at the end. I mean, I, I think they have a chance in that. But I, if you're going to say win or loss, I would probably assume a loss in a road game like that. But what, what do you think they have to do at, at home in those
0: games? Clemson, Louisville, Duke. Can be a tournament team. Yeah, to the Miami point, I, I think everybody who covers this team is marking that as an L just because we saw what happened in Blacksburg against Miami. But I, I think, I think you're right. They do have a shot down there. There's a, Miami's not uh, world beaters. It's certainly a, a game you can play better and win. I mean, they did it against Virginia. They went. They went, They looked just awful in Castle, and then they went on the road and won that game. So uh, they've been good on the road. They've been one of the few teams in the ACC, I think there's only three of them, that had winning records uh, in in league play on the road this year, even after that was lost to Duke. To answer your question, uh, I'm optimistic that they're going to do very well in this this round. And and I'm not throwing that Duke game as a loss either. They played Duke tough in in Castle. Yeah, and that's what made that Virginia loss in Castle so discouraging, disheartening, I guess, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, because that doesn't happen to Virginia Tech in Castle Coliseum. It doesn't matter who you're playing. They'll give them a run in Castle. It's going to look more like the UNC game than it's going to look like that Virginia game nine times out of ten. So I'm optimistic they can win that. The place is going to be sold out for Duke. It's already sold out for Louisville. Uh, There's a few tickets remaining for that Clemson game, which what is a midweek or next week. Um, but that, that really will set the tone, that Clemson game. I think that's a, you know, I think they will be probably be a three-point favorite, something like that, the Hokies will, uh, even though Clemson's second in the ACC right now. Uh, I think the Hokies will get, you know, home respect from the lines makers and be expected to win that game, much like they were in the four So
1: You talk about opportunities down the
0: stretch. Clemson, you know, look
1: at this bracketology thing. Clemson, when already has him as a three-seed right now. Louisville is an eight-seed. Duke is a two-seed Miami is a sixth seed. I mean, these are tournament teams. If you want to prove that you're a tournament team, these are tournament teams that you can beat down the stretch. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting because I yeah, I think, uh, as it is, Virginia Tech is a tournament team, but it can play itself out of a tournament spot too if it, it performs really poorly down the stretch here. When they start comparing you, it's like, how are you going to compete against these teams that are in the tournament? If you lose to all of them, then it doesn't look so good <laughs> for your chances to get there. So it'll be really interesting to see how this thing plays out. Yeah, I, I was
0: in Louisville when they played them. Uh, I guess it was January, um, and they played really well against Louisville, except for turnovers. The turnovers killed them. They had nineteen turnovers in that game. Uh, they've gotten a handle on their on their turnover problem, even against Duke, which you know is typically a, again a place where you're, you're not going to look yourself. Uh, they didn't have. They only had a handful of turnovers. That wasn't the problem. The problem was uh, you know they, they couldn't defend a three point shot, um, and Duke made so many of them. So I, I'm optimistic that they can win that Louisville game, too. I mean, they, they, they certainly are capable of winning these games. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited that we have sort of a, uh, you know, a lot of, of gravity to this, this closing stretch because sometimes, you know, I mean, look, look at Virginia. I mean, if you're covering Virginia right now, uh, what, what, you're just pretty much on pause, right? I mean, they're going to win the league. Um, you're just waiting for the tournament to start and see if they can win the tournament. Uh, they, you know, they're not going to go undefeated in the league because of the Virginia Tech loss. So uh, you know, being around the Hokie program, I think, is a more exciting place to be right now. I think Virginia fans would probably quibble with that. But uh, I'll probably go to another Virginia game before this, this regular season's over. But most of my time's going to be spent in Blacksburg and, and rightfully so. I just called up another
1: bracketology here. A, uh, Jerry Palm. I don't know where he got his bracketology degree, but, uh, you know, question the credentials, the educational credentials of some (laughs) of these guys. He's got him as a nine seed. Uh, we played Nevada in the first round with Auburn as the one, which I think if you're going to catch a number one seed this year, I mean, this year is crazy in college basketball. It's crazy. Like, you know, Virginia loses and moves up to number one because everybody else in the top 10 lost a given week. I feel like this year, you know, you say it every year, it's like, oh, anybody, you know, top 30 teams could probably win this tournament. I feel like it's really, really true this year because there's no just like, you know, Titan or heavyweight of college basketball this year that you go, oh, that's the clear-cut favorite, and if they do what they're supposed to, they're probably going to win the title. Uh, I think a lot of teams are flawed in this thing, and that could open up a you know, you could see a, a nine seed or an eight seed or something like that make a run in this tournament because I just think don't think that the top teams are that deeply talented like they have been in, in previous years. Yeah, I
0: mean, look what a struggle it's been for voters to decide who's number one week to week. You know, and um, yeah, I can't imagine there's been many teams that have lost their most recent game over the weekend and are voted number one after not being number one the previous I season. was curious
1: about that. I wonder if well, any teams ever ascended like that. Well, it's uh, very strange because I mean, the whole storyline about that is like win and you're
0: number one and then they lose and they still move up to number one. Well, Berman had him at three in his poll. Uh, Dowdy voted him number one for the first time all season. Dowdy's our Virginia beat rider and he said basically that uh, the, the endorsement from the selection committee when they released those, you know, I've made fun of those football selection uh, things, you know, they're so worthless. They're just, some, gives, when ESPN Radio something to talk about on Wednesday when there's nothing to talk about. But I think in this case, uh, the committee coming out and saying Virginia is our number one seed uh, gave license to voters to say, okay, well, then maybe I, I, I can justify voting them number one too. I, mean, I, I would have voted him number one previous to this week, and I've said that on multiple radio shows and stuff. I mean, I, I just I wasn't sold on Villanova, and Villanova's starting to make me look a little prescient there with, by losing a couple games here, and including a St. John's loss It's really not, not, not attractive at all. So, I don't know. I mean, it, you're right. I think it is a, it is a pretty wide open um, feel to it. If you can get in, you've got a chance. Um, so, that's what the Hokies will be looking to do. It's it's a fun time. I I don't get into college basketball until you know mid to late January, and even then, it, you're really looking forward to what we're about to see. So, we'll keep you posted on all that, and be sure to uh, read all the coverage on Roanoke.com for that. Let's let's get to some football here, Andy. It's been a while. I I listened to your um, Podcast with Evan, it was excellent. Evan was a great guest, and really, I, I learned a lot listening to that, and and you and he talking about the, the signing class. But you, you didn't talk to him again afterwards. Um, the big story, I guess, Dax Holyfield is—he's uh, a linebacker, and he decided to go with Hokies. Tell us a little bit about him and what his addition means to uh, Virginia Tech's class overall.
1: Well, I guess, but he was the big target. Uh, down the stretch has been a big target for a while. Uh, it was North Carolina and Stanford that were in on him uh, with the Hokies for a while. Clemson jumps in at the last minute. You see a team like Clemson come in with its you know national credentials, and you're you're sitting there going, oh, I, I think I see how this one usually goes, and the guy turns and flips. But uh, Virginia Tech held on, and uh, you know it was uh, it, this is really a recruitment that's lasted like four years. I mean, Dax Hollyfield spoke about it to reporters that weren't his announcement thing. Is that, you know, he goes back to talking with Bud Foster for that very first time when he was a freshman. I mean, that's how long these recruitments go. I think that sort of gets lost in this process where people just, you know, pick it up in the last month and, oh, where's this guy going to go? What's this guy going to do? These are are relationships that have been forged for years and years. And in this case, even predated Fuente. And that's when this whole thing started with Dax. Uh, So he stayed true and and picked Virginia Tech. I think a lot of people had them as the favorites throughout this whole thing and maybe wavered a little bit at the end whether people were going to think that he was going to continue to go with the Hokies, but he did. It's a big get for a couple reasons. I mean, first of all, you look at the linebacker depth chart, and the Hokies just took a massive hit this year. I mean, you lose Tremaine Edmonds early to the NFL, uh, which is a huge blow. You you look at these draft boards, and he's number three overall just in terms of talent. That doesn't mean he'll go three overall in the draft, but I think there's a lot of indications that he might be a top-ten pick coming up this year. That's a major loss to have in your linebacking crew, but you lose Andrew Matupuaka to graduation. He's been a three-plus-year starter. Your top two backups are Sean Huleskamp and Anthony Shagan. They both graduated as well. Uh, at the beginning of the season, probably your next guy at Mike Linebacker was Tavante Beffett. He gets arrested for marijuana uh, distribution, sale <laughs> of that. Uh, that charge was reduced to possession, but he will not be coming back to Virginia Tech football. They parted ways in this sense. So you essentially lose your top five linebackers from last year. Your two guys returning that have the most experience are Rayshard Ashby and, and Dylan Rivers, both guys who played sparingly last year to be generous and they they played uh on special teams uh i just wrote a blog post about this sort of going from 17th season to the 18th season uh the returning production of all the inside linebackers that virginia tech has on the roster right now is three tackles Mm. all by dylan rivers on special teams two of those came in the bowl game i mean this is i mean it's the previous year, there's you know, Matuaba and Tremaine Edmonds had like 350 tackles in their careers to that point. You know, double-digit sacks, forty-some tackles for loss. I mean, it is stunning how little experience they have in this linebacking corps. So I don't know if a guy like Dax Holyfield, who's not arriving till the summer, can come in and start right away. But I think he's got a shot because there's nobody that they're trying to beat that has any sort of uh experience of any you know notable experience i mean it's just you know a little bit of a special teams which helps that's a good way to get onto the field but it's not like you're trying to unseat some three-year starter or something like that so i mean there's seven inside linebackers essentially you got raychard ashby dylan rivers the two guys i mentioned who played a little bit but not much uh rico kearney and uh Jalen Griffin are two guys that redshirted last year. You have Alan Tisdale, who were uh, enrolled early. You've got Keyshawn Artis, and then Dax Hollyfield will be getting there in the summer. And that's seven guys. The future looks good with the sort of talent that they've recruited. I think both Hollyfield and... Uh, Dylan Rivers were top 250 recruits. Pretty four-star guys that are pretty uh, renowned in recruiting or, or touted in recruiting. I think the future looks good. It's just that at present it's going to be a struggle a little bit. So th- that was a big, big get in the sense that
0: they need to bring talent into the program. Uh, it will be interesting to see if he can compete right away. Well, everything you said I think uh, exemplifies why we saw Bud Foster performing a cartwheel after Dax. Did you see that tweet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I put it
1: out there. He's 58. He's coming off knee surgery, so that's a pretty good effort for <laughs> I don't know how good of a cartwheel I could perform in that thing. Uh, yeah, I think the knee surgery thing is the most impressive part. You know, yeah. He doesn't move around like he used to. That Wyatt Teller thing was five and a half years ago when he did that. So you're talking about a little bit of age, a little bit of uh, wear and tear on the joints there. Uh, to be able to move like he did, that's still pretty impressive.
0: Well, we were talking off air that Dax... Pollyfield is just a great name for a, for a linebacker. Dax? I think, oh yeah, that's a great name. I think um, yeah. Yeah, the Pistanti- Dax
1: D- with a, a sacks! There's so many terrible puns and, and rhymes that you can do on something like
0: that. Well, I think when, when they did the uh, podcast draft of, of Letters of the Alphabet, I think X went off the board first, and I agree. I think X is a bad, bad I mean, a, in a good way. Um, when I say bad, I mean good. Yeah, yeah D.D. You know, and the X Man. Oh yeah, um, you know, you just, anytime you get an X, and you're out there uh, X and out plays with tackles. They could be a good
1: like crowd thing. They could hold up an X or something like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Dax, it's a strong football name. It sure is. Well, Quincy Patterson, you know, he signed during the early period, uh, and sort of, of course, you reported about that when he when he committed and also when he signed. But uh, there's been some, you know, stories that have come out. You know, some national, I think, Bleacher Report. I'm still having a hard time considering Bleacher Report to be like a reputable... Do you do that too? I do too. I feel like they should have
1: rebranded at some point when they, you know, they like started hiring legitimate writers and not just doing slideshows and everything, (laughs) but it's just like, it's still just imprinted in my brain the Bleacher Report slideshows. That's the first thing I think of. But they have... Honest to God and great reporters yeah. doing excellent writing and reporting there. It, it, I feel like that stigma has been lifted
0: a little bit on that site. Oh, absolutely. A lot of talent has flocked to Bleacher Report. And I'm sorry I forget who wrote the, the story itself, but it was on Bleacher Report. And uh, it was very flattering uh, of of. Patterson um talked about his you know academics in addition to his, his football i think that's getting fans really excited that they feel like they have a, a really well-rounded guy here sort of a brand-facing type in terms of balancing academics and football um what, what are your thoughts on Dax? I mean, have you learned anything new about Dax? Or, sorry, Dax, but Quincy that you didn't know uh, coming into this? Or uh, Adam Kramer
1: is okay. the writer on that one. I I have not spoken to him yet. I, I probably should try to do something here in the offseason, especially before he enrolls at Tech, because once he gets here, like who knows when we'll ever talk to him. Right. As, a, as a quarterback, first of all, and as a true freshman, you, you know, honestly, is probably not going to play in his first season. It might be a while before we ever get to talk to him. Here, I think you look at his profile and – I mean, how many quarterbacks, like top tier quarterbacks, come out of the Chicago, like the city of Chicago? Like, it's just not like you think basketball products come out of that area. Uh, so it's sort of rare in that sense. He's a very focused academic student from what it sounds like in terms of liking engineering and like a, every story I've read about him his he's sort of ears perk up and he talks a lot more energetically when it turns to his uh, you know science projects and stuff like that. So that marriage uh being a really good football player and in, having an interest in engineering seems like it was just you know perfectly made to go to Virginia Tech. It seems like the perfect marriage of two things like that. Uh sounds like he might have wanted to enroll early he couldn't cuz he's got a bunch of AP classes and stuff like that where he just couldn't make that work. Uh his father sounds like he's waiting for a transplant as well so that's sort of a, a family situation that's difficult to deal with right now but uh you know the, I think a lot of people look at him and go you know he hasn't gone and gotten these sort of uh you know quarterback coaching like a lot of these other guys have done going to camps and stuff like that. He did the Elite 11 camp obviously like that but I don't know if he's Got these quarterback uh, coaches and gurus and stuff guiding him along the way. So it sounds like he's a little bit unpolished and a little bit unrefined with his mechanics and all that kind of stuff, and that might be a process once he gets here. But the fact that he's this highly rated and people look at what he's been through in life and where he comes from and sort of his educational pursuit, they go, this this guy's a little bit different than, than other recruits that come through here. So I think uh, the hope is very high that long-term Quincy Patterson is going to be a guy that can do great things at Virginia Tech. I keep, you know, it's the question I get asked the most in the off season: Is Josh Jackson going to be the quarterback? Who who might unseat him? Is it going to be Hendon Hooker? Is Quincy? Everybody just assumes Quincy Patterson, is this huge recruit, is going to come in and compete right away. I don't think Patterson right away will compete for this job. I think it'll be a learning year. He gets here in the summer. It's going to uh, take a while for him to adjust to the college game. There's there's a ways he has to go with his development. I think long term he can be an excellent player, but short term I think it's it's Jackson Hooker. Uh, Ryan Willis, perhaps, can get in the competition here in the offseason. Uh, the job still Jackson's to lose. Uh, I think people are, are eager to move on from Jackson for some reason, even though he you look at the totality of his freshman season, he had a really, really good freshman season. Uh, struggled down the stretch, but uh, you look at the entire picture and the stats that he had, that, that's very good for a first-year player. Uh, I think it might be hard to unsee Jackson in that case. Well, the headline calls him a cross between Cam Newton and Andrew Luck. Like, hold on, people. <laughs> I, I know you're trying to grab attention with this. I covered Cam Newton when I was at and I've never seen anybody in college football who was like Cam Newton. Andrew Luck was like the consensus number one pick for if he had come out two years prior to when he came out, people would have taken him number one. So maybe pump the brakes on the hype train. I remember hearing one one, uh, recruiting thing when it was out there. I I think I saw it was a scout.com report or something like that. It says, I've talked to coaches who say he could win two Heismans. It's like, would you stop it? First of all, (laughs) only one person has ever won two Heismans in the history of the Heisman. Second of all, the last guy that they said was going to do that was Ron Paulus at uh, I think it was Ron Paulus at Notre Dame, and he, did not, just, you he yeah up. he did not come close. It's like don't put the two Heisman's tag on it. Don't say anybody is oh he's a future Heisman winner. It's just setting unrealistic expectations for them. And this headline with this Cam Newton and Andrew Luck thing was maybe a bit sensationalistic. There, I'm of the opinion that you wait to see how a guy does once he gets to the school. See how we adjust the college. See how we adjust in the scheme everything that goes along with it before you start throwing this sort of uh, ridiculous praise on somebody.
0: Don't get out the anointing oils just yet, says Al Gore, right? Was, yeah, yeah. Of let's hold off on the anointing oils <laughs> for now. I just said that too, I get your Al Gorel impression. I you know, know. Al, Al
1: is usually uh, pretty correct when it was like, it's like Jameel Sewell. It's like, <laughs> hold on now, let's not put, take out the anointing oils quite yet.
0: <laughs> All right, well. You, you looked up uh, the the composite recruiting rankings now that I'll, now that both signing days are over. Twenty uh, seventh is where uh, Tech checks in uh, nationally, and twenty fourth. Oh, I guess. Excuse me, twenty fourth. I guess it's still kind of adjust. I
1: thought I saw twenty seventh. Twenty fourth is what VT uh, two four seven sports composite rankings
0: has them make. Okay. Well, uh, that's not on par, right? It's the same same thing as twenty seventh.
1: I mean, you get past. It's like a. a Sort of an ex, somewhat an exponential or a bell curve type situation where you know you get closer to the middle, those classes look very similar. The the top ones are a little bit different, uh, but I, I think you go anywhere from twenty to thirty, it's essentially the same.
0: Yeah, so I mean, they're in the class with Michigan, Nebraska, Carolina, TCU, <laughs> uh, Mississippi State, those types of teams, and then when you go up to the top, of course, you're looking at the Bama's uh, and the and the Clemson's and Texas and all those. Um, probably, I mean, and we've talked about this. To death, but it's worth mentioning again. Do you ever see them going up into that upper realm of the top 10?
1: Maybe they could crash the top 10 on like a single season, but they're never going to be up there all the time. And I wrote about this in a mailbag the other week. People say, What's Virginia Tech's recruiting ceiling? I say if you can get in the teens, if you can get comfortably between 12 and 20, that I think if you're a successful program and you're winning and recruits see that, I think that's reasonable for Virginia Tech. Anything above that, I think it's going to be an outlier type season. Uh, I, I just don't think that Virginia Tech has the kind of profile Uh, to recruit at that level and people always say oh what does that mean just because they're out in the boonies in Blacksburg that people don't want to come there it's like no there's all sorts of factors there's resources I mean you look at total revenues of the programs uh, that's going to affect how much you can spend on recruiting the type of coaches that you can uh, afford you know the better recruiters are more expensive coaches out there Uh, you know how much you can impress recruits on an official visit with all these facilities and things I think Virginia Tech's facilities are pretty good but You know, geography plays a factor because there is, if you look at a map of where all the blue chip recruits are, it's in the southeast. And I know Virginia Tech is close to the southeast, but it's not in it. It's not surrounded by it like Clemson is. I mean, Miami can drive 15 minutes and find more five-star recruits than Virginia Tech can in the entire state of Virginia. So uh, that plays into it. Tradition plays into it. I know Virginia Tech was hot on this defensive end, Javante Jean-Baptiste, which would have been a top name in the class if they had gotten him for a long time. Uh, And I think in the early period it might have looked like they could have landed him, and then all of a sudden Ohio State jumps in right before signing day, and Urban Meyer supposedly calls this kid the night before. And you've got Urban Meyer talking to you and the history of Ohio State talking to you, and he ends up picking Ohio State. And that's not too surprising to see those big schools like that jump in late because you you get a call from Nick Saban or you hear from Alabama or Florida State or you know Florida State beat Virginia Tech for a couple recruits late even though they have a new coach there. Just sort of the tradition and the logo and everything about those schools is tough to beat because traditionally they've been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years, even longer sometimes for some of those schools. So there's a lot of factors with Virginia Tech that it's only going to get so high in the recruiting rankings. I think a lot of people bemoan that fact. say, like, oh, you're never going to win a national title unless you get in the top 10. I think there are ways to compete for one uh without just going oh we're recruiting all the best talent that's in the country some schools that's the way to do it if you're Alabama and Georgia you have that access you're capable of doing that I don't think Virginia Tech's ever going to be able to recruit at that level but I think you can recruit well enough that you can compete with those teams on a regular basis forgive forgive my ignorance
0: but what is a what does an official visit look like like I see these guys getting herded around at games, whether basketball or football games. You know, Oh, they're, the big recruits are here. You know, you want to put on a show for them. What else beyond that? I mean, is it uh, you know just a campus tour? I mean, I know the hookers and stuff are off limits. but Thanks, <laughs> <Hey>, Louisville. <laughs> yeah, right? But, um, you know, like, what does it look like? I mean, I guess you, you hang out with the players that are currently on the roster, right? You're, you're given, like, a, a guy. Who's, a host. Yeah, a host. And, uh, I mean, I don't know. Have you ever read any stories about, like, actual, like, blow-by-blow, like, here's what I did? or or, You
1: You know, know? I I think they show them everything about the program, and that's not just like, oh, you do a stadium tour. It's like you meet some academic people. You meet, you you eat on campus. You see everything that the campus has to offer. It's not just the football side of things. Sure. Uh, And I think this is part of the reason that Fuente sort of, laments the facts that official visits can be take place eight months of the year because all those people have to be on call when a a recruit comes in it's not just like the coaching staff showing them around so um the difference between an official and like just an unofficial visit is the official the school can pay for it they can pay for you to come
0: in and do all this stuff could they send a a private jet to your local airport no i don't think
1: that's allowed i think they they draw a line there but they can Pay for your travel to come in okay. if you're just you know flying in commercial or something like that. Right, uh, that's where it happens. But I, you know, I, I think the the official is basically just for them to show off the entire campus slash program. It's not just uh, oh let's walk through Lane Stadium real quick, and obviously you hang out with a bunch of guys, you get a sense of the team, and it, it's a little more than just show up and oh here's uh, you know. <laughs> here's Brandon Faison, and Faison says hi, and you move along your way. It's like, you know, you
0: actually spend some time with these guys and get a sense of what the campus is like. If you had to pick one person on the Virginia Tech roster who would be the ideal host. Who Currently would, on the roster? Yeah, Ricky Walker. He would sell the program better than anybody. Think. I think he's
1: just a personable guy who is just uh, somebody who talks at ease. Mm-hmm. You know, you need somebody that's a little bit of a salesman. I think he, uh, judging based on how he is at the podium with us, I think he'd be pretty natural about selling the program and just kind of talking at ease with these guys.
0: Um, You recently, well, we'll get to that in a second, but you you did talk to um, Justin Fuente briefly recently about winter workouts. How are those going?
1: You know, I I expected him to say that, you know, we've got a ways to go. That's what any coach says early in winter workouts. I was a little bit surprised for him to say that, you know, we're a little bit behind. This is his words. We, the Hokies, are a little bit behind uh, what they have been the last couple of years. Uh, And I think the way it's sort of – you look at it is this is a sort of light upper class group. I mean, you have Ricky Walker. He's obviously the the bell cow of the defense. Everybody says uh, he's the the natural leader. He's the guy that's going to sort of take those reins. But other than that, you don't necessarily have uh, a real – productive upper class of guys. I mean, you have Nijman, you know, Stephen Peoples is there, uh, some other guys, but you compare that some of the previous classes that, that Fuente inherited, and you look at those seniors they had that first year and the guys that went pro, and then you look at this last year, and then you take out a group like Tremaine Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds, Tim Settle. I mean, all those guys would be natural leaders. All those guys would be players that you point to and go, this is the way that this guy is doing this right, and they're not there. Uh, so I, I think there's a little bit of a gap now between uh, the upper class and then the guys that Fuente has recruited. There's sort of that middle ground where not a ton of guys have emerged as impact players. Maybe those recruiting classes didn't pan out quite as well as the ones that had preceded it here. So I think I think you have a couple of guys in the upper class, a little bit of a gap, and then some of those younger guys, and that makes for a very young team, and, and that's going to be a process right now for
0: this team to figure out. Okay. Well, you recently did your um, all NFL team. That was yesterday. Okay. Yeah,
1: I, I I didn't have time to do a mailbag. We moved this thing back a day uh, to accommodate my schedule, uh, so I did. I didn't have time to solicit mailbag questions, but I had one previously that I had saved from a previous week, and uh, the guy who who, who did it, uh, let's give him credit here, Miles Hader. Had a good question previously that I used as the lead-off question about you know who would Virginia Tech trade Fuente for? What other coaches in the FBS would they trade Fuente for? It was a completely hypothetical exercise. I actually got an email from somebody that demanded that I apologize and take the article down because it was offensive to Fuente and his family okay. to suggest that – Virginia Tech would do a trade with another school, which is completely not possible. It was a complete discussion point. You immediately took it down. Yes, immediately offered an immediate urtraction. I think I told him to lighten up Francis was my exact words in the email. It was a thought exercise. Also, nobody cares. Uh, But this question was, create an all-time Virginia Tech NFL team based on just NFL performance, not on how good they were in college and things like that. And it was... It was actually kind of a challenge uh, for some of these spots. I mean, there are obvious picks, Bruce Smith, uh, Michael Vick, a very good secondary. You get D'Angelo Hall and Brandon Flowers at corners, Cam Chancellor at safety. Uh, but then there's some other positions like, you know, offensive line, Dwayne Brown was an obvious one, but there are some guys you have to go way back to figure out. And they had a bunch of good centers, but not as many good guards. So I put Will Montgomery and Jim Pine at guard. And I actually put Buzz Nutter from the 50s as the center, and George Priest was another guy, both played for the Baltimore Colts uh, as the offensive lineman. I mean, just in terms of NFL production, these guys were the best of the bunch. Now, I don't think they would hold up very well in today's NFL game, but just based on how they did in the NFL, those guys would be at the top of the list. Another spot that was sort of a problem was defensive tackle. Uh, It's amazing how few defensive tackles Virginia Tech has has produced over the years. Uh, The first guy I had was Tom Beasley, who had an okay NFL career for a couple years. And after that, I couldn't really think of anybody else Mm. looking at at the the list of guys. If Tim Settle does anything in the NFL, he would automatically be on this list just because there's nobody there. Um, I think receivers are pretty good. You you get Antonio Freeman, Carol Dale, and uh, Eddie Royal. That's a pretty good trio right there. I think they could hang... Uh, in today's NFL, obviously, Carol Dale played in a different era, so who really knows So that would happen? Um, linebackers, inside linebackers were sort of a bit of a struggle there as well. Outside linebackers, I think he have some interesting options with Jason Worlds, James Anderson. I didn't have Cornell Brown on the team because uh, I think those other two outside linebackers actually performed better as NFL players. Uh, Than Cornell did, but uh, pretty good return group with Andre Davis and Eddie Royal. Uh, I think it'd be a, a very intriguing team when you look at it on the whole. Uh, Kevin Jones at running back, it, 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 that was actually a, kind of a surprising spot because you know that of all the great running backs Virginia Tech has, Kevin Jones is the only one to have had a thousand yard season in the NFL.
0: Really? Lee Sons had a decent round there. He the did. Players. He had a
1: bunch of touchdowns. I don't think he had a thousand yard season. Uh Jones had that in his first year. He had three more years. It was sort of declining production. He, you know, he ran for the Lions. So what do you have? And then he had the Liz Frank injury that was sort of the kiss of death at the time for a running back. Uh, that was a surprisingly light position given the sort of players that they produced uh, college-wise over all the years. Uh, but I think it was an interesting thing to look at the whole thing. I think this would be a pretty good team just because if you have Michael Vick and Bruce Smith and that secondary uh, I think you could be competitive in today's NFL. if you, Maybe if you substitute some of the modern-day offensive linemen instead of taking guys from the 50s that are giving up 60, 70 pounds to some of these uh, defensive linemen that they would play. But yes, yes. I predicted that uh, they would be a contender for the playoffs and maybe make it, but I don't think they would go very far. I think they'd run up
0: against teams that could exploit some of the weaknesses out there. Is Buzz Mutter still with us? I don't think so. Oh, that's unfortunate. Because I'm sure you'd be thrilled to be on this list. Like so you'd be like, "Yes, someone remembered me. He played from name.
1: 1954 to 1965. 153 games. And he made a Pro Bowl. So it's possible. Pretty it's good.
0: Still around in his 80s or something, but I don't think they did uh, How did you research that? You just go through the uh, media guide to find names and then. Well, there's a uh,
1: Pro Football Reference has a Virginia Tech page. Okay. And they even have this. Uh, they have uh, I forget exactly what they call it. Let me find it here weighted career approximate value. Then. They oh, okay. give a number to it. So you can look at this. Bruce Smith is 147, Michael Vick 93, Carol Dale 71, and so on and so on. So you can kind of go by position and figure out guys uh, along the way. Uh, Buzz Nutter is not with his died in oh. 2008, but he's on the team. Okay. Well, he deserves it.
0: Uh, go back to that thing you were just on, the pro reference, football reference. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm looking at that. Yeah, Bruce Smith, number one in terms of career. War uh, football war, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, so, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs>
1: <the assumption. laughs> I, I just took this stand of like that's the stand I'm going But I don't know really how good it is, but it it lines up pretty well with yeah. talent. Of these Interesting boys.
0: to see Dwayne Brown fourth there. You know, I guess you, you know. I mean, he's had a really great career, but you don't really think offensive line when you think war, I guess. But cool. All right, well, um, you know, a new a new flood of Hokies will be heading to the NFL now. Um, combine invites are out. Who who got the uh, call to go to Indianapolis? Uh, seven guys. Tremaine Edmonds,
1: Terrell Edmonds, Brandon Faison, and Greg Stroman. as cornerbacks, Cam Phillips, Tim Settle, and Wyatt Teller. That's the most that they've had since, let's see, I had it here. Uh, I can't find it. I think it was 2008. Yeah, here it is, 2008. Most they've had since 2008. Second most that they've had ever. I think 2006 they also had eight. So it's a pretty good representative group. Uh, going to the combine, obviously, when you have somebody like Tremaine, who's going to be, uh, you know, ultimate focus of a, a bunch of these teams there. I mean, yeah, he's going to be one of the featured players, especially at the linebacker group. I think Tim Settle is moving up draft boards as people watch more and more film on him when he declared. Uh, I don't think a lot of people had a, a, a deep scouting report of him, but I've seen a lot of people they are saying, you know, re- respected draft analysts. They're saying the more people see of this guy, the better they're going to like him. Uh, Terrell Edmonds is an interesting one too just because I think he's going to do a little bit better in this whole thing than people might anticipate as well. I'm
0: assuming you're going to be watching the Underwear Olympics from home. You're not going to go to the Dallas, are you?
1: I gave it a thought about maybe trying to go up there, but it's such an uphill battle budget-wise with anything we do here, and then it's going to be right up against my daughter's second birthday, so Mm -hmm. there's no way in heck I'm going to miss that. So (laughs) I wouldn't be around if I missed that. My my wife would kill me in that situation. Have you ever gone up there? I have not, uh, you know, the, the the reason to go up there would be the interviews beforehand. Right. Because the, the the actual events on the field, you don't get to go in there and watch that. You just watch it on a television screen like everybody else. So there's not really much insight to be gleaned uh, from the workout part uh, there versus at home. But there would be an opportunity to interview some of these guys ahead of time. I, I think I'm just going to wait until Pro Day when they come to Blacksburg. I think it's March 14th.
0: Okay. Well, it's almost it's almost baseball season. I mean, yesterday was a beautiful day um, here in the Roanoke Valley, and it got me thinking a lot about baseball. Mark Berman had a preview on the Virginia Tech baseball team heading into today uh, in today's paper. Uh, I, I would encourage you to check it out. I, I read it, and I was interested in you know Berman said that Chef wasn't you know didn't have very much to say uh, when I asked him how the how the interview went, but he got you know a little one on one with him. Um, But I actually found the chef notes very interesting. The quotes were very interesting. Things like, uh, we're not going to throw to bases unless we know we have a 90% chance of getting somebody out. We're just going to throw it into the the cutoff man and to second base. We're going to keep the double play in order. Um, It's those kinds of things that I think are very important for college baseball teams, sort of of middle-of-the-road college baseball teams, like what tech is. Um, having played for one of those kinds of teams, I mean, we were probably worse than what tech is but at Maryland, but you know those three run innings turn into eight run innings and all of a sudden you're, you have no chance in the game. Um, I like his, his what he said about pitchers. He's gonna have his his bullpen guys know exactly uh, which days they're, they're scheduled to throw Now there could be some some fluency there but uh, or some flexibility there but at least they'll have an idea of when they're going to pitch. And I think roles and knowing roles, I mean, that's one of the things that's made Joe Walter so effective at, with Baltimore is that uh, he his players know their roles. And um, uh, it builds a lot of faith and trust, and I think that's a good thing for Virginia Tech. Uh, their pitching staff has been their bugaboo uh, here in recent years. They've been decent. They've had some decent hitters for sure. Um, but in this area, you got to be able to pitch too. So they've been re- working really hard on that. Throwing strike one, and uh, I think his quote was, uh, and also knowing what to do when you throw strike one and they call it ball one. Uh, you know, I think he knows sort of the, the mentality that you have to bring to the mound. I like I like it. I mean, look, Chef did things at Maryland that had never been done, um, or at least hadn't been done in, in forever. So uh, he's he's got the pedigree, and I'm very interested to see with this new stadium. They're still doing construction on it, so not everything's. Uh, you know, looking like it'll look by the end of the season, but um, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, a few more people show up um, to take advantage of the amenities there. and uh, It'll be interested to see how the team plays on the field under this new leadership. A couple of, other. I love
1: baseball. Um, uh, one of the worst days on Twitter is the first day of the college baseball season because <laughs> just so much college baseball play-by-play. Play. Oh, my! it's just – it reminds you of how many people you follow that cover college baseball. It's like I don't need first-inning updates between Clemson and Coastal Carolina here. Like it's just so overwhelming. It makes me want to unfollow a lot of people on that first day. It dies down over the course of the season. But, man, there's nothing worse than play-by-play play college baseball. Uh, that being said, I'm intrigued about this Virginia Tech team, mostly because of the stadium. I just want to go over there and see what that stadium's like. I thought it was a really nice stadium uh, with that like terrace that they have on the side. When it's nice out, you just go sit on that terrace section. Uh, it's fantastic. They needed to do what they're doing and adding sort of luxury seating, if you want to call it, in, in a better sort of concourse area that feels like an actual stadium than it sort of had a high schoolish feel to it before. Uh, I went over there with my daughter Last year when it was under construction, it was a bad day. It was like windy and cold out. And I'm like, ah, it's just not going to be good. But now she's moving around a lot, and I think she'd enjoy going over there on the terrace. I'm curious right. the sort of netting that they have up there because I don't, you know, as a parent now, I'm worried. Like, oh, my gosh, I don't want her to get hit right. by baseball at all or anything like that. So I'd be curious to the kind of setup they have there. But, yeah, I'm I'm, re- I'm intrigued about this. A little bit because of the new coach, but mostly because I just like going to baseball stadiums and hanging out. So I think – uh, you know, we might go over and check out some of those midweek games. I think those are still free.
0: I think they're charging
1: for ACC games. I was going to
0: ask you if you knew, but yeah, I, I think. Uh, I think that's
1: the split. Is the midweek games are still free in ACC? And they're charging.
0: Oh, they're charging. I, I want. I, I want to
1: say so. I think so.
0: You know, when I first moved here in, in the early, you know, in 2000, I moved here. I would go to baseball games at Tech all the time, just to just to drink it in, like you were saying. I mean, it, it was the best deal in all of sports. Free, free. Uh, ACC baseball, but I guess, you know, probably it would be wise to, to try to make some money if you do have crowds that start to show up, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it, I think it's rare for an ACC team to not charge for any, you know, for a game, so, uh, you know, I, I think people, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube, so to speak, but I think uh, people would understand if they look around the country and see what else, you know, what other teams are doing. It's funny, I went to a... I bought tickets for a super regional game at Texas A and M one year because my wife went to Texas A and M for a year, and they were playing Clemson, and it was really expensive. It was like fifty dollars a ticket or something for a super regional game. I don't know what it is. Wow. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you would think that baseball would be a very affordable option uh, most times, and you know that stadium up in Charlottesville is a great place if you want to go just catch a game, high level game. So, um, yeah, we'll see how this uh, this baseball team does. I looked at the. Perfect game recruiting rankings for Virginia Tech, and they're in the fifties. You know about where you figured they'd be. Um, uh, Maryland's actually up uh, in the top twenty-five this year. Um, where where did they get under PQs?
1: Where were those classes ranked when they you know I the never looked thought-
0: regional. I never looked at the recruiting rankings, but they were using, you know, the, a lot of the guys were guys that were developmental guys. You know, like – That's Virginia Tech in all sports, I feel like. I and mean, that's sort of what y- you're going to get with the Hokies. <sighs> who's, that, who's that guy that pitched for the Padres? Oh, gosh. And now he's with the Royals this year. We had a little story on him, in fact, today. I can't remember his name, but um, he threw you know he threw in the mid-high 90s. Um, and he was a guy, you know, he was from Connecticut. Oh, Jesse Hahn, that's his name. He was from Connecticut, uh, didn't get a lot of love from a lot of people, you know, up there, cold weather state. Uh, You know, Hughes had contacts up in the northeast, of course, still from his days at Boston College, and that just worked out. You know, those are the kinds of gyms that they had to find at at Virginia Tech. And uh, I think with this new facility, they'll have a better shot. They'll They'll be able to go. A little bit more, but I was talking to Berman, you know, yesterday as we were walking around the, the grounds of Duke, and I was like, I was like, Tech, you can't, if you have to go toe to toe with Virginia in baseball, you're just not going to win that battle. You you better hope your dad went to Tech or something. Like you you know, you better hope there's other reasons because those facilities in Virginia are. Yeah, it's like a minor league stadium. It's yeah. I will say, a nice one.
1: Driving by the Virginia Tech one, it looks really nice. Yeah, what they've done to it. I'll, I'll be curious to actually go in there and kind of walk around. I think the grand opening that they have is the same day as the Virginia Tech spring game.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, April fourteenth. So. Uh, yeah, there's still some work that's going to be done uh, in the two months before that. But and I'm intrigued at least. It, it'll make me show up just out of curiosity to see it. I, I think that's sort of what you have to hope for in that first year.
0: Yeah, and they've done some things to make life easier for players, you know, the locker room next to the field uh, so they don't feel sort of like class, second-class citizens, you know, like they, they once did. So uh, that could help recruiting as well. Anything else you want to talk about, Annie? We don't have, really have anything to predict. I don't think so. You want to predict all right, let's let's predict what the Hokies are gonna do during that uh, the final five games. Right, how many wins out of these final five games are we saying they're gonna get? I think they'll go three and two. Okay. I
1: think they they win against Georgia Tech, they lose against Miami and go two and one in that home stretch. And I couldn't tell you exactly the two that they'd win there, but that, that's my prediction.
0: Give <sighs> me four and one you You're on team buzz this on this one. How you think they're, they're going to get that? done? With the lone loss at Miami. So they're beating they Duke. Beat Duke. They're winning all three of those. I really, like, whatever they're getting against Duke, they'll get points against Duke. Whatever they're getting, I will take that. I would like to take that. Now, I'll be covering that game, so I won't be taking that. But if you're out there, I would encourage you to take it. I got a good feeling about I mean, I had, I had no good feeling going to that game the other night at Cameron Indoor. I did not feel like that would be a close game at all, and it wasn't. But things change when that place is rocking. On Monday night, Buzz will be going out of his mind with intensity because he's got Billis there watching. Yeah, yeah, 4-1. And, and, and I'll watch him lose tomorrow. Right? <laughs> tomorrow afternoon. <and laughs> they, they can mean, still go 4-1 if they lose that's tomorrow true. Right? That's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. All right, well, we'll get back together when we have something else to talk about. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in, and uh, be sure to check out Andy's coverage of the combine and everything else online at rodeo.com. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarland. We'll see you next time.